You're listening to the ModernDogTrainer.net podcast, bringing you the best industry tips and topics for professional dog trainers worldwide. Now here are your hosts, Ines Gesho and Kat Camplin. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the very first episode of the Modern Dog Trainer. My name is Ines Gesho. And I'm Kat Camplin. This episode of the Modern Dog Trainer podcast is brought to you by the Certification Council of Professional Dog Trainers. And tonight, in honor of Halloween, we're going to be talking about the scary side of running a dog training business. The, oh my gosh, my phone isn't ringing and I'm going to starve episode. And we're joined today by Lisa White and Brad Pfeiffer of the CPDT. We'll also be covering our top five things you should have before going pro. Check out the show notes at themoderndogtrainer.net. You can also follow us on Twitter at Modern Dog Trainer. And there's no need to run and grab a pen. All of the links are going to be in the show notes. So put your feet up, grab a glass of wine, and let's get started. So Brad, we'll go ahead and start with you. How did you know you were ready to go full-time? Worked with them for a really long time, about seven years, building up my clientele, building up my skill set. So I always had that buffer of... Um, a regular paycheck because I worked for an established company where I built my skills, built my confidence, um, and uh, built my name and reputation. So then when I did take the plunge and go out on my own and open up Bradley Fight for Dog Training, um, I had a, a better foundation. Absolutely. Yeah, it helps to have a, a nice network before you jump in. Kat, did you have um, an idea of what you thought was maybe the most important thing to think about? You know, I think um, knowing your limits when you're starting out was probably the number one on my list. Like, I understand the phone's not ringing, but don't take the level five bite <laughs> case <Yes. laughs> right off the bat because you're starving. Right. That can be very difficult. I've, have you guys had, I've, when I started out, even even early on in my career, um, I, and I'm, I live in a larger metropolitan area. Um, which maybe helped, and and um, I've never had major peaks and valleys. But I think something kind of to piggyback on what was just said, something that a lot of dog trainers do is they they want to do everything. They want to do group classes and private lessons and behavior consults and run a daycare and and oh, certainly yeah. it can be challenging to make a full time living, um, depending on the type of lifestyle you lead, just seeing private lessons or hosting a couple of group classes. But try not to be the jack of all trades, right? Find your niche, focus on building that um, uh, that business, that specialty, and then start adding ancillary services. I think sometimes we spread ourselves too thin in hopes of just making or needing to make as much money as possible. Absolutely. Lisa? Well, I think it is definitely very important that as Brad said earlier, that you have started to build your clientele. But what I find definitely helps is if you get a really good website so that people, when they go searching on the internet for a dog trainer, that you are your, your website pops up at the very beginning or as close as possible. And maybe you need to get a professional person to build that website for you to make sure that everything is in place, that you are in the top five that people can find you. Absolutely. That's very important. 
Um, you know, if you're, especially if you're starting out in a new city, um, that's some of the things you really need to focus on is making a website that is optimized for Google searches. So again, when somebody searches for a dog trainer in your city, you show up. Yes, definitely. All right. So what are some other things you think somebody should think about before they go full time? It's cat. Yeah, it's me. Um, you know, I laugh every time there's an ad running on Facebook um, for one of the programs saying, you know, do you love dogs? Become a dog trainer. And uh, I'm thinking, okay, dogs are like secondary. Um, I think one of the main skills you need to have is being able to remain professional while discussing what to do with the dog when you're having sex. Um, 20 minutes of poop and pee and <laughs> uh, all that crazy stuff. So I think um, sort of having a nice, relaxed, professional manner while discussing very personal matters is very important. Absolutely. Yeah, you can't be a dog trainer without having some people skills. <laughs> I think too many dog trainers go into it or, or um, maybe new dog trainers go into it with the idea of, I love dogs. I want to work with dogs. I like dogs better than people. And um, for me, when I'm hiring new trainers, they have to um, be approachable, uh, relatable. They have to like people and enjoy helping people. Um, because as you said, the dogs are this kind of the second part of the equation. And maybe, the, the, maybe the, in my opinion, the, the least important part of the equation. I mean, if you don't have people skills, if you can't adjust your communication style, um, and 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 uh, kind of weave in and out of different um, uh, uh, personality traits. You're gonna have a really hard time getting buy-in from your clients in implementing a training plan. And therefore, they're not gonna do the work. The dog's not gonna be trained or have predictable changes in his behavior. And then you're not gonna be successful. Absolutely. For a long time, I said I said I'm not the best dog trainer in the city, but I'm the funnest and uh, the funnest the most fun and people love me and that's why i'm so successful is because people like me I'm ha we have a great time when we're training their dogs and you know there's probably a lot more dog trainers in my city that are that are more skilled or have you know have better science behind whatever they're doing but people like me we have a great time yes exactly ultimately the people are the ones that are reaching out to you and paying your bills so right um and as far as just basic training experience, one-on-one um, -on -one with the dog and one-on-one -on -one with owners. How much experience do you think somebody needs before they go full-time? Uh, Brad, do you want to start out that one? Oh, I don't even know. I don't know. That, I don't think you can put a, a number on it. I mean, I've, I've had, you know, myself, when I started training dogs, when I was 11, I went to a pet store. Maybe you don't care about this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. And I was looking through a magazine. It was the Westminster Issue. And I remember getting in the car and going, Mom, I want to breed, raise, and train dogs when I get older. And um, that's always been my life path. And so I don't know that you can put a, a, a number on it. I mean, I have it's something I've always wanted to do. And, and when I first started, um, one of my supervisors says, do you want to teach a puppy class? And I said, sure. I was, I was a kennel manager at a Humane Society. And I said, sure, I can do that. She goes, well, show up on Wednesday. You've got six people in your class. I'm like, okay. <laughs> nice. I was there by myself. Wow. Doing an orientation. I, I mean, I could barely teach, I could barely lure a dog into a sit, but I'm like, yeah, I can do that. Not a problem. It's a puppy class. How hard can it be? Yeah. That's how I got started. And, wow. and it just, it, it escalated from there and, and, and it's been fine. So my point is that there are people who just get it, right? If you, if you have, um, 
a passion for dogs and a passion for people and you learn the mechanics of it, then, you know, I think you could be doing great in 90 days um, to get where you are or I am or, or Kat is. I mean, it takes years to hone your craft and get the, get, uh, obtain the education. But, you know, for a new dog trainer who is teaching um, basic obedience and house manners and just working to help improve companion dogs' behavior, you know, I think that, you know, if, if, you've, got, if you've got some skills and you have a good, um, a good mentor, um, you could get it relatively quickly. Maybe you're not out doing individual lessons all the time, but teaching a couple of group classes at, at the daycare, things like that, I think it, you know, I think it can um, happen fairly quickly. Sometimes I think we try to make it too hard. That's true. That's a very good point. Kat, what did you think? Um, yeah, I mean, I think the 90, I, uh, 90 days is, is certainly doable. I was laid off twice in four years during the economic downturn. So when I chose to go full time, it was just I'm, I'm unemployed and I'm going to choose to work for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so it certainly was a definite life change all around. But I think if you're you're doing part time, you know, you've got some education, you've gone some workshops, done some volunteer work at a humane society. I think humane societies are awesome places, although it's unpaid. You're working with a huge amount of dogs, different temperaments, personality sizes, and learning to work in a team environment. I think doing some volunteer hours for 90 days and then saying, you know what, I've got some some experience. I can make a dog sit. I can help with potty training. Let me do this. I think that's certainly doable for an entry-level kind of dog trainer full-time position. Cool. And then Lisa, what did you think? I totally agree with everything that was said before. I think too, though, that when you say full-time, that means you have been working part-time, you have experience. So as a confidence booster, because when you first start out, you doubt yourself a lot. And a lot of times people are on their own. They don't have a mentor. So as much experience that you've had in training is certainly very, very important. Definitely. And as far as continuing education, um, does anybody recommend, you know, webinars and seminars before you go full time or? Oh, yes. Anything Mm -hmm. to help build up your experience, training experience and learning experience, reading, attending seminars, workshops so you could get the hands-on experience all of that I think is very very important okay and Kat I do I think um webinars are great uh you know the society for um veterinarian techs in behavior has an associate um membership that you can pay 45 dollars a year and then you get their webinars for like 10 bucks there's one every month um, there's the CAB, the um, Certified Applied Animal Behavior um, webinars that are free. Um, I think you can do it really cheaply and, and get some really good information before you dive in. Okay, and then Brad, did you have anything else to add to that? Yeah, no, I don't. I, I, I certainly agree with all of that. I think the education piece is huge. I mean, whether you're looking, going through the Association of Professional Dog Trainers or doing one of the, the webinars that we're discussing now, having the, the um, education is certainly um, necessary in order to be successful long-term, understanding the nuts and the bolts and the science and, and the techniques and so forth. But um, you have to get your hands on dogs. You have <laughs> to, you know, 
volunteering at the Humane Society is great. I mean, when I started, I worked at the Humane Society and took in 10,000 animals a year. And so every day I was interacting with a large volume of dogs. And so that, whether it's the Humane Society, you work at a daycare, you, um, uh, we talked about earlier having, you know, having a foundation where you work for someone for a period of time, you've got to get your hands on a variety of dogs in a variety of situations to make sure that you can, um, uh, the knowledge is great, but the skills have to be there, right? The skills have to be there. And it's easy to listen to a webinar and understand positive reinforcement. And that's a, certainly a, a, a necessary piece of it, but you've got to be able to apply it all. And so get your hands on dogs and get as many dogs as possible. Even if that means you work for free. When I started handling dogs, I finished dogs for people all the time for free because I wanted the experience of showing that breed or getting them ready or you know just being in the ring. And so that's how I kind of paid my dues. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's how I started out. I was uh, 12 years old, uh, volunteering all my weekends at the local no-kill shelter. <laughs> so um, definitely got a lot of experience that way when I went with dogs. Um, Kat, did you have any other tips as far as things to consider before going full-time? Um, you know, other than being able to write a training plan and actually record progress of your clients. You know, when you've got long-term clients, you're going maybe two weeks between sessions. You need to record where you picked up when you show up the next time. Um, make sure that you're moving forward and not repeating. Um, but I think that the most important part really is is being able to set your limits between work time and personal time. That, you know, if you're voicemail or email goes off at 9.01 p.m. that you're not suddenly working until 10 p.m. and then you burn out. You know, mm-hmm. I think um, it's really important to say, these are my work hours. These are the times that I train my dogs. These are the times that I cook and eat and live. And if something happens, the phone rings during that time, I'm not going to answer it. Right. Absolutely. I think that's uh, a struggle that a lot of um, small business owners uh, deal with. Um, especially when you're trying to pay the bills and everything. Um, you want to get back to people as quickly as possible, but you will burn out much more quickly if you're always available. <laughs> um, Lisa, did you have anything else to add? Well, in addition to having a really good uh, website, this is the marketing part of it. I think you should have a good newsletter that would go out to the community. You have proper marketing materials that you could hand out, like your business cards, brochures, flyers, put up posters with all that information at the vet's offices, maybe even at the pet supply stores. YouTube channel. Video is very important and well good video of you working or sharing a message it's very important it's a very good marketing tool so good marketing is very important as well yeah I I totally agree with that you can be the best trainer um, out there but if nobody knows you're there then that's not going to help very many people true um I personally think um, having your paperwork set up, um, including homework sheets, contracts, um, all those things should be set up before you go full-time because those will end up eating quite a bit of time um, if you're scrambling to get those done in between clients once you've already started. True. um, Brad, did you have any other tips for somebody that's considering going full-time? 
No, I think that um, I don't have any other tips. I certainly agree with what you all have said. I think you're if you're moving into the realm of being a full-time professional dog trainer, then you need to be professional. Right. right? You need to, right. like you said, you have your contracts in place. You have a, a, a professional-looking website. You have uh, a logo. You have um, uh, handouts and tip sheets and all those things. You know, again, you're establishing a business, policies and procedures, whatever that looks like for you, hours of operation. Um, this is when I work. This is when I don't work. But also, I think, um, to you've got to be able to walk the walk. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, don't show up in sweats and a hoodie because you're training dogs. And I think <laughs> that um, when you walk into a veterinary clinic to introduce yourself, um, you are, um, you're there representing your company. You want them to, you know, you're a professional. And, and, and so you want to, to um, present yourself as a professional um, and the way that you carry yourself, the way that you speak, the way that you um, uh, dress, I think it's all really important. Um, and in the terms of marketing and building referrals and clientele, you know, websites are great. People have got to find you. Word of mouth from clients is great. Um, those veterinary referrals are a must-have. And so as you start connecting with veterinarians or other daycares or, you know, whatever those referral sources are, figuring out um, what they expect from you in return. And, and what I mean by that is simply, if a veterinarian refers to you, is this part of a, a training plan? Do they want follow-up? Do you need to send um, training plans so the veterinarian knows what's been happening? I've got different relationships with different veterinarians, and each each clinic has a little bit different expectation of what they want to see in, in our in our um, in our uh, in our follow-up with their patients. So, absolutely. That will help you. Else? I think. Sorry, I interrupted. Um, no. I think that just helps build um, uh, reassurance with that clinic that their patients are receiving appropriate training and education. Absolutely. Okay. Did everybody uh, have any other tips? I think you have to be pretty good at sales too. You know, <laughs> I think um, when you're on the phone with someone, I think it's really easy to go into a ten-minute instruction of how to potty train their dog instead of saying you know what these are the broad concepts let's come work on potty training I think when you first start out you're like you want to prove that you know what you're talking about and you end up giving away a lot of information for free and if that's your livelihood you want to sort of protect that right right and on that same line I think being confident in how you speak Right? This is what we're going to do. They're calling you as a resource. Clients are calling you as a resource for help. And so you want to speak with confidence and say, yep, we can definitely fix that. Here's what we're going to do. I, th- I would recommend you know, we do a, we're going to do an individual lesson. I'll come to the house. This is my price. This is what we're going to do. And then it falls on them to follow through with the scheduling of the lesson. Talking about maybe a lack of confidence when you first start out um, and saying, well, I charge um, this amount of money or if you'd like to schedule a lesson, and something I've always done with my new trainers is try to give them some framework in preparation for it. So this is how you answer the phone, and this is how you schedule a lesson, and this is how you're going to, you know, um, their script, if you will, for how to interact with those clients to get um, them to register or sign up or, you know, uh, re- attend another class at the end of their, of their first class, just get them in the door. It's not, you know, this is what your dog needs in order to be successful, so this is what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. Much like you if you're going to the doctor, right? You have a headache. Okay, fine. We're going to do an MRI. You know, whatever that looks like. Mm-hmm. He's the expert. This is what we have to do to make sure we address your problem fully. Yes, absolutely. Confidence 
um, is key. Can I ask a question? Yes. What, how do you handle um, referrals from previous clients? Do you guys do anything special for that? Ah, that's a good question. Um, there's a few different things I've considered. Um, one of those lately is, you know, most of the clients that would send me referrals have already completed training or really don't need anything more, you know, not an extra private lesson or whatever. Um, so I've considered utilizing something like, uh, sending a bark box as a gift. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, that's as far as I've gotten so far. Okay. Cat. Um, I generally give away greatly discounted or free group classes. Mm-hmm. Um, and for those clients, those are transferable. So, uh, I have a client, she had a friend, um, that had a brand new puppy. I told her that she had had a free class. She gave that class to her friend, um, which got me a new client and got them free training. It all worked beautifully. Nice. Yeah. I don't do group classes, so I'm mostly just private lessons and board and trains and usually an extra one isn't really needed, but Lisa. I haven't really done much for those who have referred me, but I was thinking, first of all, a nice letter for some people, a handwritten letter, but my handwriting is so terrible. (laughs) So just a nice letter thanking them for referring and offering some sort of gift, whether it is a discount for a course that you're running or will be running in the future. I like Kat's idea of that it is transferable, that they could give it to somebody. Yeah. And your idea too of a BART box package, but maybe even something completely different, nothing to do with dog, but you have to kind of know your client, what they like. True. You know, so a, a letter, first of all, thanking them because that personal touch is appreciated and some sort of gift voucher that they could maybe choose to go into a, a store somewhere and get something that they want. Absolutely. Those are some great ideas. Um, all right. Well, I think we are running out of time here, um, but I really appreciated all of the comments and recommendations so far. I think we've learned a lot from each other. Um, did anybody have any final comments? I, so. I have one. Mm-hmm. And just to do it quickly, if you're going to start off full time, I think you should start off with a bang and make sure you do have a certificate that is recognized throughout the industry. Okay. Because then otherwise you will just be another trainer trying to get business. So if you had a certification from, for example, the CCPDT, that I think would be a great help. It's definitely a great way to differentiate yourself from others. Yes. Brad, did you have something? No, no, I think, I think, yes, I think certification is great. I think it depends on where you are in your process. I mean, if you have, um, whether you completed, um, like a, the Karen Pryor Academy, for instance, or you've got enough hours to sit for this CCPDT exam. Um, once you're at that level, whether you have a certificate of completion from an educational source or you sit for the exam, you have to work towards that um, in order to um, 
be what I was, you know, a full-fledged professional dog trainer. And, and yes, it sets you apart, but it also demonstrates um, a, your knowledge and, 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 and skills to a certain degree, depending on, on which credential you have. Um, everyone should be working towards certification and, and everyone should hold a certification. And it's not about what does the certification do for me. It's about saying, as a professional, I hold this credential and it demonstrates um, my knowledge and, and my commitment to professionalism and my commitment to these, these standards, the code of ethics and, and following the humane hierarchy if you're a CCPDT certificate, for instance. So I do think everyone should be working towards that direction um, as they begin their career. Absolutely. Yeah, it definitely doesn't hurt. <laughs> Kat, did you have any closing comments? No, I'm waiting for the winner of the photo contest. Ah, I've been yes. sitting here for 20 minutes waiting to hear who won. <laughs> yes, uh, we did in October. We ran a Instagram contest to celebrate our one year anniversary as a blog. All right. Um, so the winner is Mary Blanton of Two Dog Trail Positive Dog Training. Her submission recognized the importance of building a bond with your dog in addition to simply training to fix a behavior issue. We'd like to thank everybody for their submissions. It was definitely close. Oh, yay. Good for Mary. <laughs> yeah. Yay. <laughs> All right. Um, well, thank you again, everybody, for joining us, especially Brad, um, for hopping on. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. And I believe the CPDT is uh, putting together a little bit of written material to go along with this podcast. So be sure to check out the podcast notes on the moderndogtrainer.net.